Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hello, friend, and welcome to this week's show. Today, we're going to answer your questions. There's some good ones. In fact, my questions box overfloweth. Um, actually, let's make that the title of this show. My questions box overfloweth because my question box is overflowing. Um, and maybe I spelled that wrong, but that's okay. And so this week I was going to have, I've got a couple potential interviews, some people I'm talking to thinking about interviewing on the show, but they didn't line up for this week. And you know what? That's okay. It's the end of the, the summer. Everybody's getting ready for school. If you got kids, um, and you know, if not, you're getting back into the work, you know, swing of things, the non-summer work thing. And so, you know, it was, it was hard to line some people up and that's okay because my questions inbox is overflowing. And uh, a couple of things about that, actually. Um, first things first, if you are new here, check out learnstagelighting.com. That's my website slash quiz. Now, if you go there, I've got a little quiz for you. And it's not a quiz to uh, make your brain explode, but rather to send you a free guide. So I've got some free guides on how to begin with lighting, with different types of lighting, band, church, DJ, or theater. And this little quiz walks you through uh, figuring out what guide would be best for you and sends that guide direct to you. Real simple. It's like three questions. And I would love to send you that guide. So head over to learnstagelighting.com slash quiz, and we will get that to you. The other piece of information here is learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Of course, there'll be links to all of this in the show notes, which is at learnstagelighting.com slash 078. I believe this is episode 78. And so Patreon is this cool thing where, you know, I'm noticing this questions box is overflowing and I would love to do more episodes of this podcast and, and share it with you guys. But in order to do that, um, I, I need folks support to help, you know, make these podcast possible. So head over to Patreon and uh, check out how you can chip in just a couple bucks a month and help continue to make this podcast free. Now, Lighting News Guys um, is a segment that I like to do before we get to our main segment, which is answering your questions. I'm not even going to empty my questions inbox today because there's so much in there, but the next episode will be a Q&A as well. And so we'll be able to get to them. But um, in Lighting News, the MA.2 is dead. Now, if you guys follow the market of consoles at all, and I know this is a geek out moment for me because this is what I do, right? I, I follow the console market. I constantly am talking to people and have folks asking me for recommendations on consoles and asking me about certain consoles. And one of those that's come up a lot in the past years is the Grand MA.2 console. This is Grand MA, if you're not familiar, is the Rolls-Royce of lighting consoles, okay? It is used on pretty much every massive production, like any Olympics or anything like that. There's occasionally another console used, but most of the time at a big festival, a big show, whatever, you're going to see a Grand MA. And it's the console that most professional lighting designers, if they get a choice in console, this is what they would choose. Sometimes they don't get a choice because it's not the most cost-effective. It's, it's, it's expensive. And so a number of years ago, um, a few years ago, they introduced the Dot 2 consoles, which was kind of like a junior version of their console. But the problem that I always had with this console, and I've always had, is that it's so darn expensive for 
a pretty limited little console in what it can do. And you've also got these really tiny touchscreens, which kind of look silly and don't work that well. And so I've never been a fan of this console. I've demoed it. I've tested it. I've watched their videos. I've looked at the specs. I've compared it to other ones on the market. And to me, I've never felt like I could confidently recommend this to someone and really believe that it was the best choice for them because it was just so darn expensive for something that, in my opinion, wasn't that great. And that's saying something because this is, you know, the Rolls Royce of consoles. This is the brand that makes them. And so the good news is they have announced that um, they've experienced a sudden and unexpected delivery failure of critical components for the console range. And so they're going to stop making them. Now, of course, there's a lot of conjecture online and in the Facebook groups about, well, did they just stop making them because they're way overpriced for what they are or and they're not selling? Or did they stop making them really because of a parts issue? Well, I think we all know and we'll see here for the truth that um, they could have changed up the parts, retooled it and put the console back out, right? Alation's been doing this with all the former Martin M-Series stuff that they've turned into Onyx. They're retooling all the consoles, they're putting them back out, they're renaming them. Not that you'd have to do that if you're MA. But they could retool the innards of the consoles and put them back out and probably do it pretty quickly uh, within, you know, a year if they saw a future for it. But I just don't think it's one of those things where you know, this is why it's important to to watch the market closely because and and to pay attention to consoles and and really when you're making a purchasing decision, try to make the best decision you can about price versus performance. Because what MA tried to do with this console is basically get something that worked like their console did but was less expensive. So that if someone hired a professional lighting designer to come in and consult with them, whether that's a theater group, a church, whatever. Um, if they hired someone to come do this, they would automatically just recommend this console because it's what they knew how to use. And that's a problem I see a lot in this business. And oh boy, I'm about to get on a rant here because I often see, especially beginners and people who are intermediate level on lighting, get sold a console because they talk to a lighting designer or somebody who's in sales at a lighting company and they ask for their opinion on the console. And the professional lighting designer is always going to recommend some sort of professional level console, even if it has a big learning curve, which the user might not be ready for. And even if it isn't even the best value for what this person wants, it's just what the, the designer or the salesperson is familiar with. And so they sell it because they know how to use it. And I think that's what MA was trying to do with this console over time. They were, you know, and I don't want to disparage them. I mean, they make great consoles, but they're so expensive. Um, but that's what they were trying to do with this is make a console that when someone hired a lighting designer or a lighting company to come into a smaller venue, they just say, hey, we know MA, so we're going to sell you one of these. Even if it's literally five times the cost or more of alternatives that would work just as well. Uh, and so I'm really excited and kind of glad that they're they're shutting this down and getting rid of this console because I just I hated to see it being used you know I was talking to somebody recently who had been brought into a venue that had bought one of these consoles and this venue's lighting system was crippled by this console literally they had a bunch of lights and they had this console and they wanted to do more with their lights but they couldn't because of the limitations of how this console worked 
And they could have, for less money, bought a PC setup of um, a another brand of console, or they could have bought something like the WorkPro Light Shark, which I highly recommend, or the Camsys QuickQ, or some other mid-range console, and been able to do so much more and save money in the process. So again, that's my little soapbox um, to begin, but I'm just excited to see kind of that this thing didn't work out for them. Um, you know, obviously there's always products that do well and some that don't, but just from the get-go, I just, I never had a good feeling about this console that when I looked at it and I tried it and I used it, that I just didn't think it was worth the cost that they were asking for it. And I just, it's just never one that I felt like I could recommend to people, um, conscious, you know, and, and feel good and sleep good at night about it. So, um, I'm really glad that, that it's finally over and maybe people stop asking me questions about it. Um, so let's answer your questions. Thinking of questions, we got some good ones today. So, uh, let's answer them here. So Jack and Willie, actually my first two questions here are kind of the same thing. And, and so that's cool. Um, so what they're asking, the core of what they're asking is, hey, I've either got lights that um, I just bought Intex DMXs, and I've got lights that aren't in the built-in library, that aren't in the list in the program, Jack asked, or Willie asked, hey, I downloaded um, the file, but I don't know how to get it into the fixture library. So the first thing for Jack's question is um, we've got to go to fixtures.dmxs.com. And actually, we'll put a link in the show notes that walks you through, basically, it's an article I wrote that walks you through how to find fixtures that might work if if you don't have a match, and then how to create and install them in DMXs. Um, because what you do, basically, to answer Jack's question and Willie's, I'll, I'll paste this link after Willie's in the show notes, um, is that... First, you go to the online library, and chances are someone's already created a fixture for the light that you have. If they haven't, you can create it yourself. Then you can download it. And when you download it, again, um, check the post because the exact folder location is different on Windows and Mac, and I don't know which one you're using, Willie or Jack. Um, but you download that file, and one of the kind of misleading things that happens when you download the file is it sits in a folder. So you get a zipped file when you download it. And it's basically the, the folder structure inside that is first DMX library, then the manufacturer name, then inside that is the actual fixture file. And that's where this gets confusing. So what you want to do is actually drill down all the way to the fixture file, okay? And then find that folder on Windows or Mac, which for Windows is in... Um, for DMXs is C program files, x86, NTech DMXs, DMX library. Again, check the article. Or on Mac, it's library application support, NTech DMX library. Then you, you find that file, you drill into those folders that you downloaded. You go to that folder, that DMX library folder. Then you find the folder of the manufacturer, or you could create your own custom folder. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's just to sort it in the program based on where you paste it. And... Then, within that manufacturer folder, or the one you created, you paste that DMX file. That's the actual fixture file that you get. That's a, I think it's a .dmx. And then, once you do that and you restart DMXs, you'll be able to get it from the list. So, quite simple. Um, check out my article about how to do that. And, of course, guys, you know, like everybody, 
Um, inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs, I've got so many tutorials about how to use DMXs and make a really great lighting show with it. And so you may want to check that out at learnstagelighting.com slash labs because uh, while the YouTube videos are great and they can be helpful, they're a little old now. Um, I probably should redo them at some point, but I've got more up-to-date, more in-depth details on the exact how and what to do inside of the labs at learnstagelighting.com slash labs. Now, KV asked on a comment through learnstagelighting.com, how do you prepare for a show where you're only allowed to provide a cue list and they don't know the music, but it's a reveal performance? Okay, I'm not sure I understand what a reveal performance is. This is supposed to be phenomenal, but I don't know the LD and the venue is only allowing us to supply a short cue list. Okay, well, unfortunately, KV, um, at this point, you're going to have to really adjust your expectations because if you're not able to bring a lighting designer in or um, provide a full cue list, then, you know, or something really in depth or sit down for hours with the lighting designers and get things programmed, then you you need to, you know, kind of say, you know, you kind of got to let go of the, the steering wheel a little bit. Um, when I'm working with a lighting designer in a venue and I'm specking to them songs, then I do exactly what they ask for, okay? I want to go ahead, or even if they don't ask for it, I do this. I go ahead, I write out all the songs in order. I put out the set list, and, and you can make a template in a computer and copy-paste stuff around to make the order every night if your set list changes. And then for each song, you provide them just a basic list of cues. You say, hey, these are the colors we like for this song. Here's how we like the song to start. Here's how we like it to look on the chorus. Here's where there's a solo. It's important to note any solos. And here's how we'd like it to end. But at the end of the day, um, the lighting designer really needs to be able to pay attention to your performance. So you want to keep this cue list pretty short and sweet. Just three or four bullet points per song. And then let them, give them the freedom, tell them, hey, you know, do what feels right to you. But there are a few places where we've bolded, like you said, it's a reveal performance, maybe you're revealing something, that it's really important to follow the instructions. And then after that, you talk to the person, you smile, um, maybe you bring them a cup of coffee or some chocolate or something, and you, you know, kind of bribe them. Um, but after that, you just got to let go and say, you know what, you've done the best you can, but if you can't bring in someone to run the lights yourself, then you're going to have to be okay with how the outcome is. Hopefully this person's on their game, they care about the show, and they want to do a great job. But the truth is, you might get into your performance, they may not care about your show, they may do the very minimum, and so that's going to have to be okay. Um, I wish I could say something better, you know, oh, we can sprinkle some magical fairy dust and make it all okay. But the truth is, we can't. Um, and we can set this lighting designer up for success by giving them just a few simple bullet points per song. And this will help them to do a great job if they want to. But at the end of the day, if they don't care about your show and they're just sitting there doing their job, collecting their paycheck, then unfortunately, you may not have a great show. You know, if you can't bring in your own lighting person, um, that's just a risk. That's just something that, you know, it, it may happen. And so I hope the best for you. I hope the best for your show. But at the end of the day, just remember, this person does not care about the show as much as you do. Um, it's just how it is. You're the artist and they're just a hired person. 
But if you can give them a few simple bullet points per song, let them know what's coming up, they can do the best job that they can and put in bold the things that are actually like really important. And and that's going to be your best chance of having them hit it. Okay. Now you wrote in here, you know, this is supposed to be phenomenal. Again, you know, set that expectation a little lower. I would love for this to show up well for you. And I'd love to hear back from you and hope it worked well for you. But at the end of the day, if you don't know the LD and you can only have a short cue list, it might not be phenomenal. But keep it simple. Give them what they need to know and hope for the best. All right. Edmund wrote in. Hello, Henry. Oh, yeah, my name's David. That's all right. Um, especially overseas sometimes, you know, the whole first name, last name thing gets gets messy with different cultures. I have a question about a moving head fixture, a Chave Legend 412. Um, suppose for some reason there is no lighting console available. Okay. Um, and I just want to make the lamp show a full whitewash and I do not want any pan or tilt at all. However, um, you know, it, it basically, it sounds like the unit will basically go in sound active mode if there's no DMX. So is there any way to set just the lamp and just turn it on and leave it from the control panel? You know, this is going to depend. Okay, I thought this was just a white fixture, but I see. They, they, I think they do have a white version of this fixture, but this is a color mixing version of the Legend 412. Um, and, you know, this is really going to, pe- to depend on the exact light and what it's able to do. Um, you know, it may be able to do this. It may not. I would hit the manual really good on this one, okay? And see... If in, you know, I don't have time to look up a manual because this is a a light they don't make anymore, but see if in the manual it mentions a test mode or a manual mode. That's often what they're called, where you could go in the menu and just set the various parameters of the light, like the colors, like the intensity, like the pan and tilt. And often there's a mode where you can go in and just manually on the menu, you can set those things and, and leave it there. Now, a few caveats to this. It is designed to be a test mode. Um, what would be better is if you could use a PC with, you know, a small ArtNet node, maybe run Onyx, a console I talk about a lot here. And for free, besides the cost of the ArtNet node, just control this light. But if you have to put it in a manual or a test mode and you can get your scene set up, just keep in mind, if for any reason the light loses power, it's going to lose all those settings. Um, at the end of the day, moving heads like this are designed for professional users and they're designed for use with a console. So it's really best to hook one up, to hook something up, to have control. It may have the ability to kind of finagle it um, to do something else, but again, I'm not sure you're going to be able to get it to work. All right, um, J.O. wrote in, I'm sorry, I probably just butchered your name. It's Portuguese and I know so little about Portuguese. But hey, David, let me know. I love watching your channel and you've helped me a lot and inspired me to do better lighting. I'm from Portugal and I'm not used to writing in English. That's all right. Um, and I apologize for any errors. That's okay. I, I read lots of things from people who don't speak English and I think you're amazing because if I tried to write in Portuguese, you would not be able to understand as much as I'm understanding your English right now. Okay. <laughs> so even Spanish, which I took a few years of and I'm trying to brush up on now, I still, ugh, yeah, I'm not good at it. So since last year, I am running lights for a band and have some random lighting services in my local area. Um, I simply chose a Chinese DMX controller that I connected to my laptop running Freestyler. 
but I want to invest in some gear I can improve my shows with and improve my skills. You saw my videos talking about MIDI controllers, so you came up with two ideas and want to know my opinion on what you should buy. Um, about 300 euros. So you already have the Sunlight DMX controller that you borrow from a friend, Sunlight 2. And for a MIDI controller, you're thinking about an APC-40, a Behringer Eurolite LC4112, and a touchscreen monitor. The second idea, or you want to make something basically that lays out like an Avalite's Tiger. Um, I, you hope I can help because you're a little bit lost in what to do. So it sounds like you've got a lot of the pieces together. And what you've got to do basically is look out there at the consoles that are available. Okay. I don't normally recommend sunlight, but you can make good shows on it and they do allow MIDI control. So you want to choose a console, you know, decide if you're going to use Freestyler or Sunlight. I believe both offer the ability to use MIDI control, so that's not a huge issue. And once you've decided on the console, you can then go ahead and um, you can figure out, okay, hooking up your MIDI controllers and getting control of things within the program. But what I would definitely do is, you know, start with something that you already have that you can just add a MIDI controller to. It sounds like Sunlight's going to be what it is. And really dive into their instructions, their manual, their videos, and figure out how to use that console well. And then apply that to your MIDI controllers and have the control to do much more. Um, my best recommendation is go ahead and with the lights you have, program a show that allows you to have a bunch of looks available to you that allows you to basically punt or run the show on the fly. And then you can always just load that file, set up your MIDI controllers and be ready to ready to make your show happen wherever you are. Um, but definitely, you know, there's a lot of options. There are a lot of good MIDI controllers. I really like the APC 40. Um, that's my biggest recommendation because it gives you a variety of encoders that you can then use um, for controlling the programming side, assuming sunlight lets you do that. And then it also gives you faders and buttons for controlling the playback side. Something like the Behringer Eurolite is like a DMX lighting console that also has MIDI, but the buttons on it, it doesn't have a lot of encoders or any. It has one, but I don't know if it works with MIDI. And so it's really more meant for playback and not programming so much. So I really recommend... I like going with something like an APC-40 if you can, because it allows you to assign buttons for programming to speed up your programming and buttons for playback and faders for playback so you get the best of both worlds. Um, so that's kind of my recommendation there. And Kyle says, Hi, my question involves tracking. I would like to know if it's beneficial and how, why it's used. I'd also like a line you know if it would affect a touring show built off a bunch of presets that you're updating in each venue. By that, I mean if you assign an executor fader to turn off tracking and you've built a queue stack on top of that executor and you update positions queue, etc. Without the tracking feature, will your output be different than the previous show? Hopefully this makes sense. Thanks. All right. So, Kyle, um, first things first, you use the term here, um, executor fader which makes me think you're working with an MA. You might not be, you might be. So let's talk in that world. This will apply to any professional grade console though. 
Um, tracking is built into all of the professional grade lighting consoles, except the PRG Virtuoso or the V676, which is only really used with inside the, their company. Okay. Not a lot of other people are using it, though. They told me recently that they're going to start selling it. So that'll be interesting. And what tracking does is it's basically a way that lighting consoles store information. Um, it's the default way that most of these consoles work. And it's built around the idea initially of just saving memory. Because with these early, you know, computer controlled lighting consoles, you really had to conserve memory to be able to make your show happen. I mean, I remember on the Hog 2, you would literally, if you had a big show, you had to have multiple floppy disks and then backups of those and switch them um, between different parts of your show to be able to store everything. And so while that's not, while the memory storage issue is not a thing today, right? We have plenty of storage in our world. Tracking still exists and it can help you a lot. Okay. So it is the default way that these consoles work. And the reason why it can be so helpful to you is that it can save you time in programming. Okay. So here's how it works. When you've got just a quick brief overview, when you've got a cue list, that has a bunch of cues in it. If you go ahead on that first cue and you program in, um, you know, intensity and position to all your lights, then for the next cues, you just store position. Well, for the whole cue list, there's going to be intensity for the light. It's going to track through until you touch intensity again later on in that cue list, and then it does whatever it does later in that cue. And how this is helpful is that you don't have to worry about if you have played through a cue list, say you're at the last cue, you've cleared your programmer, and you want to add something to that cue list. You can just bring up that cue list, make the changes in your programmer, and add another cue to that cue list. You don't have to worry about loading that queue into your programmer, then adjusting what you want, and then storing it to a new queue. It saves a step or two in there uh, because that stuff just automatically tracks through. Not only that, but if you decide that something you did earlier in the queue list that's tracking through to the current queue, if you decide you want to modify that, like maybe it's an intensity level and you just want to modify it in that queue, then you just go ahead and modify it on the queue where it happens, and say you went from 100% to 80%. Well, now that 80% tracks through all the queues until you touch the intensity again. So it can save you a lot of time when you're updating queues as well. Um, I would personally, I never turn off tracking on my queue list. Okay, that's a personal thing that I do. Because ultimately, when you're programming, the most important thing to be able to work quickly with a show file and work quickly on the fly during a show when you're programming is having everything consistent. Because if everything is consistent in your show file, then you know how it's going to react and you know how changes are going to take effect. So I don't ever turn off tracking for that reason because then I know exactly how every cue list is going to react. They all work the same. It's not that some have tracking and some don't. Okay. 
Now, occasionally I do break that rule if a client asks for something really specific. Sorry, I just got excited and threw my pen across the room um, that I was holding. If they're looking for something really specific, I may turn off tracking if it's just quicker, but I rarely do that. So what you're kind of asking more in depth, let's see. So you've built an executor fader, you've turned off tracking, and you've built a queue stack on that executor, and then you update positions, color, etc. Um, you know, I don't have enough information here to answer how tracking on or off would affect that queue list, okay? Here's how tracking on and off affects a queue list. It affects a queue list when, like I said before, you've got something early on in the queues, earlier on, okay? You know, in some queue that's previous to the current queue that you're working on, whether that's you brought in a Gobo, whether that's you brought in, let's use a Gobo, for example. So on Q3 in your queue list, you bring in a Gobo, and then on Q4, you change the positions of the lights and you apply intensity to them, okay? If we have tracking on from Q3 to Q4, the Gobo will stick in there, okay? The Gobo's still going to be there. And the lights will move and the intensity will come on. And anything else that was in Q3 that you haven't changed will be in Q4. So if there was color, anything else, that's going to track on through. If you turn tracking off, now from Q3 to Q4, you lose the gobo. The gobo goes away. You only get the position and intensity. So any color goes away, etc. So anything you stored previously in that queue list, it just goes away. It's like it wasn't even there and you start fresh with each queue. Now, when it comes to presets, presets and tracking aren't really something that are tied together, okay? Um, because when you use a preset and then you update that preset, every queue that you built with that preset will be updated. So whether you store the position in every queue or you stored the position in one queue and then it tracked through, so you stored it in every queue and didn't use tracking, or you stored it in one queue and used tracking, when you update the preset, you actually get the same result, that the preset's updated, and whether it's just updates in Q1 and tracks through everything, or whether the preset's in Qs 1 through 10 and they all update, it's the same result. So ultimately, tracking is there in a professional lighting console to make your life easier. But it doesn't really change how you use presets. What it changes is whether or not the stuff that you previously programmed in affects queues later in the queue list. And I would always leave that on because if you want to create a queue where there isn't something tracking from a previous queue list, then just make a new queue list, right? I mean, that's, that's what I usually do. Um, so hopefully that makes sense and helps you. Um, David Sanchez writes in, thank you for all your videos. Um, I've bought a Lightshark console a few months ago. I've got a question with the effects generator when storing in a queue. After I store the effects in a queue, I can't modify the speed with the fader. Uh, I've selected this option, but the size and speed is not modified. Okay, another thing is when I record an effects into queue, the effect doesn't start immediately after the queue uh, begins. Dispatch, he said. Um, for example, the, in a tilt effects, the queue starts with the first two moving hands and then two more and then two more, et cetera, et cetera, until the end. Is there any way to fix this? Okay, so to answer question two, um, really both questions. 
they're actually in the process and they have it working in the development lab, a new effects engine that addresses your second question. Because from the get-go, the effect engine basically started and applied to each fixture as it went through the offset, um, and it didn't just start all the fixtures at once. So that's something they've already addressed. They've got it working. They're working on making it pretty and making it bug-free. And they've announced that that in early December, that should come out. So be on the lookout for that. Now, the speed on the fader is a curious one because that should work. My best guesses is that either there's another fader up that is modifying speed and it's taken over, or I'm trying to think here with the light chart. I'm not sure any other issue. My thought is maybe something happened to your show file and it somehow got corrupted. This can happen on any console. Um, you know, but my best guess is that there might be another fader that's controlling speed that maybe has a higher priority that's taking it over. Again, without seeing your exact show file, it's hard to say. Um, you really should be able to get that option with the speed, but if you're not getting it, it could be that you either haven't cleared your programmer, that's one thing, you make sure you press clear, um, but it also could be that the speed is being controlled from somewhere else. All right, one last question before David loses his voice today. Alti wrote in, and said, I have a question for you. I've tried to research it, but I could not find a video tutorial on how to set up a DMX console to a visualizer software. All right. So when you're working with a visualizer, it really depends on how you, what console you have. Today, most modern consoles can put out ArtNet or SACN, which is networked DMX signal. Okay. And so when they allow you to do that network DMX signal, that means you can go straight from the console to your computer running a visualizer and never have to go to an actual, um, you know, and never go to an actual, you know, DMX cable in the middle. That's the best way to do it because then you don't need any boxes or widgets or any hardware to get out of the console and into the computer running capture. You just need a network cable. Nice and simple. Now, if you have a DMX console, something that can't output ArtNet or SAC on these networked DMX protocols, then you've got to go ahead and get the DMX out of your console and then use a USB or a network-based node to then bring that information into your visualizer. Um, I have... A, um, I have a tutorial on YouTube called How to Connect DMXs, DMXIS, with the Capture Visualizer. We'll put that uh, link in the show notes. And that gives you a demo of how to use a, a program like DMXs that can't do network DMX. Shows you how to bring it back into a computer using an ArtNet node. Okay, so that should be able to help you. But that's the basic gist of things is if you can do it networked, do it networked because it's going to be easier. It's going to be simpler and you don't need to buy any additional hardware. But if your console can't do it networked, then you're going to have to buy some boxes to get the DMX signal out and then back into the computer. Awesome, guys. Thank you, friend, for listening today. It's It's been really great having you here. And I hope that if you've enjoyed today's show and you're new to lighting, check out learnstagelighting.com slash quiz and 
If I've answered your question today or helped you in the past, would you consider going to learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon and helping pay for this show? Just a couple dollars a month from every subscriber to this would make it really easy for me to do more episodes, um, always be at the bottom of the questions bucket, and also be able to bring you more new things. So I would really appreciate that if you could contribute at learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon. Show notes are at episode um, or rather, learnstagelighting.com slash 078. That's 078. And I will see you guys here in two weeks. I think we'll do another Q&A because I didn't finish all my questions today. There's still more. And then in the next month, uh, we will talk about, we'll maybe get some good interviews in and stuff like that. So I hope you're having a great day and I will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.